This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Hey, it's Glenn, and I want to remind you, peace of mind is tough to come by these days unless you have a Liberty Safe. With a Liberty Safe, you won't worry when you leave the house because you'll know your valuables are protected. And right now you can get free delivery to your home on any Liberty Safe. Go to LibertySafe.com for factory direct pricing. LibertySafe.com, made in the USA, lifetime warranty, and peace of mind. LibertySafe.com. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. This week, America is seeing the vision of Trump's America. What does he feel we're we're capable of doing and where he feels we need to go? Next week is Hillary's America. The problem is you're not really going to see Hillary's America. You're not really going to see the Democrat or better yet, the progressive idea of America because that agenda is usually hidden and buried in history. Nobody ever wants to talk about the progressive history and the history of the Democratic Party. Well, there are a few people that do. Dinesh D'Souza is on the cutting edge of this correction of history. He's got a book out, Hillary's America, and opening this weekend, The Secret History of the Democratic Party, Hillary's America and the Secret History. The Secret History is not that secret. You just have to look for it. He has and has put it together in an amazing movie. He's here with us to talk about Hillary's America. We begin right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. I want to I start with this. I'm not going to ask Dinesh anything about politics um, today because I believe uh, that only leads to more division and, uh, and leads us to a place to where the Kasich people and the Trump people and the Cruz people and the Scott Walker people Everybody needs to see this movie. The Clinton people need to see this movie. The Bernie Sanders people need to see this movie. Um, because this is, in my opinion, most likely the person who is going to be leading the free world. And it is terrifying if you don't know who she really is. Uh, and it's beyond Hillary Clinton. Um, I think we're getting to a place to where the parties are more important even than, especially with the progressives uh, and the uh, left, the parties are more important than the, the president. Uh, the, the, the agenda now is so set in stone, and it is an agenda that started at the Civil War. Welcome to the program, Dinesh. Uh, Glenn, great to be on the show. Um, yes, it's, it's absolutely right. The roots of all the stuff that's going on, on with Hillary and the progressives and the Democrats now, you can see it uh, trace itself back. Some of it to the 20th century, some of it to the early 20th century, some of it to the 19th century. Hillary was asked recently about whether she was a liberal. And uh, she said, no, I'm not. I'm an, I'm an early 20th century progressive. Progressive. 
And of course, there was an early 20th century progressive movement. Now, the bizarre thing is that early 20th century progressive movement was thoroughly saturated in eugenics, social Darwinism, racism, um, racism horrible stuff. Uh, and also forced sterilization. It, it ended up being an inspiration to the Nazis in the 1930s. Yeah. It, was, um, it was a fascistic, communist, socialist movement. That's all it was. They hadn't, they hadn't really decided that on anything other than they didn't want blood in the streets of a revolution, but they know they needed uh, an authoritarian dictator of some sort up at the top. That's who it really was. I was shocked when she said that, because to say I'm a progressive is one thing, but she specifically said an early 20th century American progressive. Those people were horror shows. I think we see here how Hillary, although connected to Obama, the two of them are different. They both are Alinskyites. They were both sort of mentored by Alinsky. But Obama, of course, has that uh, third world dimension to him that came through his father and through Kenya. Uh, Hillary is is kind of an all-American phenomenon, uh, but she situates herself in this, I think, very sordid American tradition. Uh, it's hard to believe she doesn't know about it because oh, she does. Uh, when she came to Houston, of course, in 2009, she, took, she got the Margaret Sanger Award. And very self-consciously, she praised Margaret Sanger. Um, oh, you know, we, uh, she placed herself in that tradition. And, um, and I think most people are kind of misled by this because they think, well, of course, Margaret Sanger was for spacing your, your children. No, uh, and, or, or having fewer children. And, and, and I, I keep saying, well, no, Margaret Sanger was for having more children if you are educated and upper class and white and fewer or no children if you are dark skinned. And um, Margaret Sanger would not have liked you. Margaret Sanger would not have liked me. And but Hillary Clinton doesn't like you either. And Margaret Sanger would be also be very happy about the fact that uh, African-Americans have a disproportionate share of the abortions in this country, yes. uh, that many of the Planned Parenthood clinics are in inner cities, um, so that Margaret Sanger's infamous Negro project, which has been right now removed from the catalogs of Planned Parenthood, but in a sense, the Negro project continues, and it's now called Planned Parenthood, because yeah. uh, you don't see Planned Parenthood very, very much in the, in the rest of America. Your movie, which did here in Texas, it opened in Texas last weekend, a week early, um, did phenomenal numbers, uh, just phenomenal numbers, opens up this weekend all across the um, country. Uh, and it, it does a it it's not a documentary. I mean, it, it is a it's a movie. I mean, it has documentary elements to it, but you've done a great job in bringing, for instance, the Klan to life. You have you've shown clearly the different phases of the Democratic Party uh, where Republicans never owned a slave. Democrats, it wasn't the South, guys. It was Democrats. That's, that was the slave uh, victors. And the proof of that is that most Southerners, of course, did not own slaves. Most Confederate soldiers didn't own slaves. Uh, and the Northern Democrats uh, were just as protective of slavery as the Southern Democrats. Stephen Douglas, who was the leader of the Northern Democrats, his whole point of popular sovereignty was to allow each state to decide for itself if it wanted slavery. And that was to make sure that slavery remained in America. And, and, and Douglas also thought it would be cool if it spread to other countries. And that slavery was made permanent. In other words, there would never be abolition. And this is a Northern Democrat. 
So when people say this, uh, the slavery battle was the anti-slavery North and the pro-slavery South, actually it was the anti-slavery Republican Party versus the pro-slavery Democratic Party. Is it amazing to you that, um, because t- in Ted Cruz's speech last night, I know you were on a plane and you didn't see it, but um, in Ted Cruz's speech last night, he is the first, at least at a, at a convention that I have seen, a major speaker who, who drew these parallels and said, the Republicans freed the slaves. The Republicans stopped the Democratic Jim Crow laws. The Republicans were the civil rights leaders. Nobody says that. Nobody even knows that. Right. I mean, even, even the people who know about slavery... Um, concede that the Democrats did the civil rights movement. And they're thinking of the civil rights movement of the 60s. And the Democrats say, of course, that Johnson pushed it and Goldwater opposed the Civil Rights Act of 64. Um, Number one, that ignores the whole civil rights movement of the 1860s. By the way, that's the movement that passed the 13th Amendment, abolishing slavery, the 14th Amendment, equal rights under the law, and the 15th Amendment, the right to vote. So if those things weren't put in the Constitution, none of the civil rights changes of the 60s would even be possible because they had to be anchored in constitutional guarantees and provisions. The Republicans put those into the Constitution with massive democratic opposition. Uh, But even the civil rights movement of the 60s would not have been possible without the Republicans. Uh, Goldwater was kind of anomalous. Uh, His objection to the Civil Rights Act was sort of technical and, and not entirely invalid. Uh, he, his basic point was that the civil rights movement is trying to outlaw private discrimination, and that's outside the authority of government to be able to do. But nevertheless, most Republicans didn't feel that way, and more Republicans proportionately supported the Civil Rights Act of 64, the Voting Rights Act of 65, even the Fair Housing Bill of 68, than Democrats did. So how did the switch happen? Well, you know what, before that, let, let me go here. The infection did... F- Uh, come into the uh, Republican Party on some things, not with race, I don't think. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, Um, uh, because I think, you know, uh, Theodore Roosevelt was was great on race. You know, uh, Booker T. Washington, he got a lot of heat for inviting him to the White House and sitting down and being friends with him and working together with him. So not with race, um, but the infection of what I would call modern-day slavery, what's happening in Detroit, what's happening in Philadelphia, you're a slave to that system. Your kids can't get out of that system. Your kids can't get out because they don't have good schools, because you're trapped in those schools. But the, that mentality of progressivism being introduced by the federal government, that came from the Republicans, and we're still fighting that internally today. The Democrats completely surrendered to it. But that fight is still alive inside the, Demo- the Republican Party. I was at an airport recently and ran into the African-American pastor Eugene Rivers. He's um, uh, an urban pastor in the Boston area. And it reminded me that years ago he had made a shocking statement in, in an article he wrote in which he said that in our city we, ha- we are raising urban young black males who do not even have the skills to be useful slaves. And it startled people, but what he actually meant, I think, is quite right, that the slaves were masons and weavers and agricultural workers, and so they had skills. And then when slavery ended, they could go get jobs, uh, and they could perform useful services, they could earn money, they could establish families. But that wasn't the concern of the people at the time. 
uh, the people who were for releasing the slaves but were concerned about the slaves, they, they were concerned about their general level of education, but they were more concerned that you release people who have just been oppressed for 150 years, they're going to come and kill everybody. It wasn't generally the thought of who's going to take care of them. Because Not at they, all. Yeah, they knew In that fact, they, you could almost say that the bigger concern was who was going to take care of the masters, right? Because, yes, yes. because if you run a plantation, the slaves do all the work and you don't have them anymore. Now you have to do all the work right. and you're not accustomed to doing it. Uh, absolutely right. Uh, but today, when you look at these urban plantations, and by the way, look at the chilling resemblance between the old plantation and the new, right? In both cases, we start with a ramshackle dwelling, right? It used to be called a slave quarter. Now it's public housing or some urban apartment. Uh, then you see broken down family. Illegitimacy is widespread. The family structure disintegrated. We see that here today. Then you have a high degree of violence that is necessary to keep the place intact. The slave owners understood that you can't hold the plantation together if there's not the threat of violence at all times. Um, inner cities. One reason we have all this inner city unrest, urban shootings, targeting of cops. Part of it is that the, the liberal plantation is sort of boiling over. Um, then you have a meager... Wait, wait, wait. Are you saying that, that the violence in the cities is not necessarily planned, but condoned by the Democratic Party to keep people in place? No, I'm saying that, you know, um, liberals often talk about, like, let's look at the root cause. What is the root cause of this urban unrest? What is the root cause? The immediate cause may be that you've got a guy who read some black Muslim propaganda and then went and got a gun or Black Lives Matter. But what is the root cause? Why is there so much discontent that makes the job of a cop in these areas so difficult and makes the whole thing so uh, on a hair trigger? And the answer is that these people are living unlivable lives. Right. And, 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 and the, without hope. Without hope. They have a meager provision, right? There's food stamps, and, and, and if you're sick, they'll call the doctor. But that was even true on the plantation. If you got sick, they'd call the doctor, but no one got ahead. No hope, a kind of nihilism that defined the plantation. Mm-hmm. There's a nihilism that defines inner city life today. Um, and, uh, and this is the legacy of the Democratic Party now. Meaning, who runs inner city Oakland? Are there any Republicans there to take responsibility? No. Democratic mayors, Democratic school superintendents, Democratic officials and aldermen. The whole thing is Democratic all the way through. And not only Democratic, but it is also mainly African-American. When you look at in Detroit, the leadership has been African-American for a very long time, reflective of the community. But the Republicans who aren't there... And the whites, who are in the vast minority in the government, in the leadership, um, they're not there. And yet it is the white Republican that gets the blame. Now, here's the interesting thing. If you come in and propose to change it, if you want to gentrify the inner city, bring in new businesses, set up lofts and encourage young people to start Internet businesses, uh, create jobs, what do you find? The progressives in those areas oppose it. They fight you tooth and nail. They're like, keep this neighborhood the way it was. Why? Because they know that if you, have, if you suddenly have commerce, you have opportunity, you, you start building some ladders for people to climb up, they're going to go, well, maybe I don't need the Democratic Party. Maybe I'm not going to... So the dependency, I think, is the reason why the Democrats have allowed these things to continue. Because think about it. It's been 50 years. All of this started 50 years ago. 
trillions of dollars have been pumped to transform the inner cities. They're pretty much the same as they were in 1968. And I guess I'm suggesting that's because the one big difference between the plantation today and in the past is the plantation today delivers the vote. In other words, these are people who continue to monolithically vote in the, the ruling party that keeps Which them. is what the founders, why the founders said to the three-fifth clause, because they knew the plantation owners would control them, control the information, and they didn't want those, those slaves to count because they knew once the plantation owners controlled the slaves and could count one for one, they would never stop slavery. It's, it's a fascinating parallel. Back with more in just a second with Dinesh D'Souza. Hillary's America, the secret history of the Democratic Party. A major motion picture opens nationwide this Friday or Thursday? Well, it opens early today, uh, Thursday. But it is Thursday today. Now. Yeah, it opens on the weekend. Okay, so make sure you see it. Um, this is, Dinesh is, is um, a fantastic filmmaker and got together with... Um, uh, Jerry Mullen, who did um, Jurassic Park and Schindler's List and everything else. Trem- tremendous film. Uh, you don't want to miss it. And bring a friend, bring an open-minded friend uh, to this this weekend. Uh, our sponsor this half hour, American Financing. American Financing Corporation, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.com. How much stress is in your life right now? Most stress is caused in families because they fall behind. They fall into debt. uh, And you're supporting a growing family and the worry and the stress. I mean, it's just just very bad. If you feel like you're getting further and further behind, let American Financing consolidate those high-interest debts into one manageable monthly payment. Interest rates are now at all-time lows, and it is a great time to refinance and consolidate your debts. Lowering your just your interest rates could save you as much as $500 to $1,000 every month. Think about how much you could pay down if you could save $1,000 a month. You want to buy a home? You want to refinance? You want to take advantage of the low interest rates? Now is the time to do it. And the people that do it with credibility that do not work for the banks, they're not on commissions. They work for you to find the right loan. American Home loan, uh, or sorry, American Financing. They're the the America's home for home loans. American Financing. Go to AmericanFinancing.net at 866-750-6551. 866-750-6551. AmericanFinancing.net. Take you 10 minutes to qualify, a week to close. AmericanFinancing.net. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck Program. How strange. Yeah, it was very strange. It was very brilliant, though. What he said at the end was very brilliant. Welcome to the program. Uh, Dinesh D'Souza is here. Hillary's America, the secret history of the Democratic Party. Bring a friend. Go to the theaters this weekend. Not only are you going to get a lot out of it, this is another way for a real conservative movie 
to make an impact and dent the universe uh, with the studio systems and, uh, and, and with the theaters to make sure more movies like this with this point of view can come out. So it's important on two levels. Really important for people to understand not just Hillary Clinton, because that, that's important, but I think what you do in this movie that is so important, it's way beyond Hillary Clinton. This is the truth, the true history uh, of the Democratic Party that most people don't have any idea. Well, if we think about the upcoming Democratic Convention, we're going to be getting their official narrative. And their official narrative is going to be something to this effect. Well, Hillary might be a little bit shady, perhaps, but we are the party of the little guy, of the ordinary man. We have always looked out for the outsider, the immigrant, the minorities, Latinos. We're the ones who liberated the blacks. We're the ones who did civil rights. So this is their official narrative. Well, they're they're coming out uh, with uh, Michael Brown's mom on Tuesday. And it's important that Dinesh corrects this history before the convention so you know it. We'll talk about that and take you through that history when we come back. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Welcome back to the program. Dinesh D'Souza is with us. His uh, new book is uh, Hillary's America, the history of the Democratic Party, which is also a new movie that is opening nationwide this weekend. Really important for several reasons. Uh, But one, the Democratic Party uh, has their convention next week, and they are going to be telling a tale that is 180 degrees the opposite of the truth when it comes to race relations, etc., etc., they are not the party that ended slavery. They're not the party of the civil rights movement. And, and you can see there, you can see the, um, the similar patterns. They'll want to tell you that they've changed. But Dinesh, tell me the difference between when they started the Klan. Uh, the Klan was the Democratic enforcement arm. Um, and when the, the Klan was running through... The um, the Democrats got their cities and their towns to take away the guns from the from blacks and said, because the Klan is out for your protection, we have to confiscate all of the guns. Once they disarmed the black man, he was a sitting duck and the lynchings just went through the roof. Now, here they are, African-Americans sitting ducks and that they've convinced for your protection, we have to take away all the guns. And they're getting slaughtered in their own homes, which keeps them in fear and keeps them needing the man. This is the point about history that we think, you know, we need to know history so we don't repeat it. But history is, is continuing to the, the past lives in the present. Yes. Um, and all of this stuff is not as old as we think. But Robert Byrd, who was um, the head of his local Ku Klux Klan, ended up being a distinguished Democratic senator. Um, When Byrd died, I believe 2010, 
Hillary proclaimed him her mentor. Uh, Obama and, and Bill Clinton both went to his funeral. Now, Obama didn't touch the subject of Byrd having been in the Klan, but Bill Clinton did. And he made a very interesting statement. He goes, um, he goes well, yeah, of course, uh, Robert Byrd was in the Klan, but you had to be in the Klan to advance in the Democratic Party. Kind of an interesting statement and a true statement showing the great power of the Klan, uh, which would sometimes hold Democratic primaries of its own to decide who the actual Democratic candidate would be, which Klansmen would actually get to be put forward. Uh, and this is all part of our history. Now, the progressives, their genius is that they dominate academia, the media, Hollywood. Yep. And so they're able to spin these stories and cover things up. Even when they'll admit, progressives will talk about Ida B. Wells as somebody who fought lynching. They'll never mention she was a Republican. Uh, this is the black journalist who would, who would, who would expose um, the, uh, the lynchings um, in the South. And, um, and, uh, and gun control, uh, as you point out, had a racist motive. Well, it also from the... It came from the 30s. I mean, our gun control laws in the 60s really were modeled after Hitler gun control laws in the, from the 1930s in Germany, which I think came over from Joe Kennedy. One of the Kennedys brought it over uh, from Germany, if I'm not mistaken. You know, I was shocked to read. Um, um, I, I had known about the complicity of the Democrat, Democratic Party in racism and white supremacy but I didn't know how much the party was in bed with the fascists in the 1930s. Oh, big time. Um, and, uh, in fact, young JFK uh, went to Nazi Germany in the 30s. Uh, he came back. How old was he? Uh, he was, I think, in his 20s. Uh, wow, so he was a young man. But nevertheless, he, was not, he wasn't, he wasn't a, uh, in, in school or something. But he was uh, super impressed. He calls Hitler a legend. He goes, most of the opposition to Hitler is due to jealousy. And he goes that the Nazis claim to be that the Nordic man is superior. Uh, and he goes, that's because he probably is. This is, uh, this is JFK. Now, uh, FDR wow. did not admire Hitler, but FDR admired Mussolini. Mm-hmm. Uh, and FDR saw Mussolini and the Italian fascism as kind of ahead of the New Deal. In other words, going further with planning and kind of directing state capitalism. So he sent members of his brain trust to Italy to study Italian fascism, bring those ideas over here. And interestingly, Mussolini reviews FDR's book. He's super impressed. Uh, He essentially declares FDR to be a fascist, just like him. Now, after World War II, with the odor of the Holocaust, the once again, the progressive, it's almost like the progressives need a cleanup crew. Uh, and they go in and they go, whoa, this is super embarrassing. We need to kind of put this under the rug for now and not, let's not highlight this in the textbooks. So we are, um, this movie isn't just about Hillary, as you, as you know. It's contesting this larger story of American history uh, and exposing the, the fact that there's a sordid strain in the Democratic Party that goes way, way back. I'm not even sure Reagan knew this, because I remember as a young Reagan. I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. I don't think he was Ronald Wilson Reagan. Right. I don't believe that up until really this generation, we have really been aware of the progressive strain and the progressive history and the way it has all come together and, and who these guys really are. Think of what Reagan would say. He'd say, I didn't leave the Democratic Party, it left me. 
So the assumption was the Democratic Party was a good party. And only recently, maybe in the 60s or the McGovern campaign, they went off the rails. But I, I think Reagan was unaware that there was a um, corrupt, larcenous, exploitative, murderous strain in the Democratic Party going all the way back to Andrew Jackson. I want to highlight something, if I may, about Jackson, because I think it's so it, it foreshadows the Clinton Foundation. And this is the way that Andrew Jackson, uh, who would, um, you know, he was in the Indian Wars, uh, but he would know, I'm going to be taking the Choctaw, I'm going to be taking the Cherokee, and I'm going to be getting all these acres of land. So very cunningly, before the actual relocation, he would send in his private surveyors, and they would ascertain the value of that land and come and report it to him. Then he would go to some investors and say, hey, guys, let's bid early on that land and get it at bargain basement prices. So very often, Andrew Jackson and his cronies would buy the land before it was even up for auction. And that's how Andrew Jackson went from being dead broke. Famously, he was an orphan. He had no money. He went from being dead broke to being one of the richest men in the United States, having about, by today's standards, $200 million. Sound familiar? In other words, the, the roots of the Clinton Foundation, Glenn, in my view, can be seen in the land-stealing policies of Andrew Jackson 150 years ago. Any way to turn this off at this point? I mean, you see now, and people don't understand. They think they're fighting something new. They think they're fighting something... um, They think they're fighting people. You know what I mean? Well, we got to defeat this individual. Defeating Hillary Clinton does not stop this because this is a, a system that has so ingrained itself and its tentacles are everywhere there used to be a time when well bill gates said this i couldn't start microsoft today and build what i built i couldn't start it today i couldn't do it um the government is in every aspect of our life now can that be chopped back i I think it it would have to be rolled back incrementally yeah and, but we know it's very difficult. Even I remember in the Reagan days, uh, Reagan, um, Reagan could cut taxes, but it was very difficult for him to cut spending, in part because of these entrenched constituencies. And, and even if programs don't help you, it's difficult to let them go. You know, I think if we talked about the inner cities a moment ago, uh, I, I envisioned the Democrats sitting on a roof and they let down a rope and they asked the people down there, hang on to the rope. You don't need ladders of opportunity because then you have all the hard work of climbing. But if you hang on to the rope, we'll pull you up. But what the Democrats have figured out is that you pull people up, but then you hold. In other words, you suspend them in midair because at that point, they're still relying on you. If you pull them all the way up, they're going to get up and walk off. So what's happened is we've got whole communities that and, and the reason that they vote for the Democrats is that they're hanging in the middle of the air and they have no place to go. So this position of dependency is maintained, in a sense, in perpetuity. It's a very shameful legacy uh, of a party that purports to be the party of the little guy. Uh, Republicans don't do a good job, I think, in highlighting all this. We, we distractedly start arguing about other uh, stuff, whereas what we should be doing is stripping the moral capital from the left and from the Democratic Party. That's what I try to do in, the, do in this movie. What was the thing that is you watching the audience? You're watching the audiences. What is the thing that happens? Give me one of them, because um, I think there are several. But give me the thing that every time people go, "Oh my gosh!" I mean, I can't imagine watching this movie 
without um, Google open. Because you're like... The beauty of the film, and, and of course the reason I wrote the book is that the book has chapter and verse. Because there, there was a guy, we had a screening in, in Houston, and we had the young black actor who plays the slave uh, who breaks free and is then stabbed by the, by the slave owner, uh, Gilbert, uh, the name of the slave. And this guy goes, he goes, I, I, I'm an actor. So he goes, people said, why are you willing to play a slave? And he goes, but I, I'm an actor, I play slaves. So he plays the role, but in the course of the movie, he sees all this stuff, and it discombobulates him because he's like, is, it, is this stuff really true? I mean, is it really true that the Klan was started by a delegate to the Democratic National Convention? Is it really true the Democratic Party was the party of lynching? Is it really true that the Republican Party actually was instrumental in passing this? He, and so he's not a Republican yet, but he goes, I am now no longer a Democrat. I'm in the middle. He goes, I have to do my own research. Um, and so the, I think the beauty of this film is that the, the facts in it are accessible. I wrote the book yep. just to lay out the documentation, mm-hmm. and there's a lot more that you can't put in a movie because oh, the no. movie is the tip of the iceberg. But there are several moments in the film that where people, I think, do go, wow. I, I, um, uh, I remember I did a week on civil rights, and I told a lot of this history at Fox. And... Um, uh, had uh, Jack and Oscar. One was my floor director and uh, or floor something, and the other one was uh, uh, was cameraman. Both African American. We became very close friends. I did um, I did one episode on uh, the truth about this period of time and what was happening and who the heroes were and who the villains were. Oscar kept looking at me, just shaking his head the whole time, and like, I can't believe this. Jack turned his back to me and wouldn't let me see his face the whole time, and I thought I had done something to offend him. And I went up to him afterwards, I said, Jack, are you okay? And he just kind of brushed me off, and I said, if I said something, I, I, I don't, what did I do wrong? He turned around, and he was pissed, and he said, it's not you, He said, I've been lied to my entire life. Everything I was taught to believe about my race, who the friends were, who the enemies were, who the heroes were, who the villains were, it's all wrong. It's all a lie. He was angry. And I will tell you that I think that people, when they see this, they are going to go through periods, if you don't know it, you are going to go through a period where you will see the, the scales fall from your eyes and you see how deep the progressive have distorted and destroyed history and, and fabricated an entire lie. I can feel this in, in the, the left-wing reviews of this film, which are uh, people are, are, are scrambling for how to attack it. Uh, they can't attack it factually. They have not been able to point to a single fact in the book or the movie that is wrong in any way. They don't. They can't. But the, you, you can tell that they're furious. And the reason they're furious, I think, is that it's very difficult to take a, a worldview yeah. and say, I was wrong. It's almost like becoming going from being an atheist to being a Christian because yeah. you're not changing the details of the worldview it's the actual whole story that's wrong. Yeah. And, and you've been living by that story. That right. story has given you meaning. It is what it's motivated what, you. It's what separates, um, it, I think it's what separates us from the animals. Or at least honest men and good, decent, honest men from um, 
liars, uh, people who will look at it and say, I don't want to believe that. That destroys everything that I thought was true. But if I want to live a decent and honorable life, if I want to be authentic on who I really am, the truth will set you free, but it will make you miserable first. It's going to make you miserable because it challenges everything that you thought was true. And now you have to look at the world with new eyes and you have a choice to make. I'm Blue pill or red pill, which one are you going to take? Yeah. Live in the matrix or not? Uh, Dinesh, it's always a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. Uh, the movie is opening up nationwide uh, this weekend. I urge you to go see it. Uh, and you can also pick up the book, Hillary's America, The Secret History of the Democratic Party. The book has all of the footnotes and the facts and everything else. The movie, you don't want to watch a movie with footnotes. The movie is based on all of these facts. Really good, really well done, a must-watch, especially this weekend. Bring somebody uh, to it that is is looking at uh, at the Democratic Party and saying, yeah, but I don't know. I mean, these guys, were... bring them, bring them and make sure they see it this weekend. Now this, $13 trillion is the total amount of government bonds in the world that now have negative yields. Now this is according to uh, Bank of America, Mer- Merrill Lynch. 2015, a year ago, the total amount of negative yielding debt in the world was 3.6. That means a lot of people realize, crap, I, don't, I can't do anything. I don't even trust a bank to keep my money safe. I will give it into the government, and I'll take less back in the end. Negative uh, government bonds, truly remarkable, especially that they've gone up in, in less than a year, $10 trillion worth. I urge you to call Goldline now and talk to them about gold or silver, their legal tender unit. Read all the important facts. Call them right now, 866-GOLDLINE, 1-866-GOLDLINE, or goldline.com. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. I am a big fan of disruptive ideas, and this year, Casper Mattresses is on the top of my list. Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and I love sleeping on my Casper mattress. Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at an unbelievably fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce. And better yet, it breathes so you don't wake up drenched in sweat. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. In fact, it's now the most awarded mattress of the decade. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your home. And if you don't love it, they're going to pick it up and refund everything. Imagine that, a company so confident that their product is what you want that they'll offer a 100% refund. Made in America, with free shipping and returns to U.S. and Canada. Get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash glen and use the promo code glen. Terms and conditions do apply. Go to casper.com slash glen, casper.com slash glen, 